Welcome back to the Almost Shameless podcast. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate you always. Uh, This show is always NFL heavy. And it's also very Patriots heavy for obvious reasons. Longtime Patriots fan from Massachusetts. I've covered the team many times across my career. And so we talk a lot about the Patriots. And as per usual, the Patriots are at the center of the main stories of the week. So this works out uh, well for this particular podcast. Normally, the week after the AFC Championship Games, we'd be talking about who's in the Super Bowl. Huge weekend in, in, uh, in football. We had a massive upset in the AFC Championship game. The Bengals beat the Chiefs. They are going to the Super Bowl. They're going to play the hometown, in quotation, uh, Los Angeles Rams in Inglewood. This is um, going to be quite a matchup. Very likable quarterbacks. We've got the Matt Stafford versus Joe Burrow. Lots of really superstar players on the Rams, up-and-comers, on the Bengals. This should be the main topic of today's show. This should be all anyone's talking about this week, but it is not. There are two main stories that are at the forefront of NFL news, and we're going to be hitting on both of them. The second topic I'm going to hit on later on in this show is Tom Brady's retirement. He officially announced his retirement. It was interesting. It was not free of controversy. Uh, Tom Brady seems to always get himself embroiled in stuff without even really trying. And it's nothing major, but it will be interesting to talk about and break down with you because of course I have thoughts. But the first topic we're going to talk about and the most important thing happening in the NFL is racism. Um, Brian Flores and his lawsuit against the NFL, specifically the New York Giants, the Miami Dolphins and the Denver Broncos in relation to his firing and hiring process, interview process uh, across the course of the last few weeks and into the past, right? So there's a lot going on with that. And we're going to talk about it. I'm going to be honest with you right up front. If you are somebody who believes that racism is not a problem in the NFL, not amongst the players, not amongst the coaching staff and, and front offices, this is not going to be the podcast for you. So I'm going to let you know right out. I don't want to see in the comments on YouTube or under my page anywhere that you were bombarded with wokeness or social media justice warrior shit. I don't want to see any of it. I'm I'm telling you right now, we're talking about racism in the NFL. This is not going to be a podcast that questions whether there's racism in the NFL. This is going to be a podcast that examines what exactly is happening and what exactly is at the root of this problem and how it's possible for everything to move forward. And it is going to deal with things that are going on and have gone on in the past. I am not going to be beating around the bush. If you want someone to make you feel better about uh, how the NFL handles race, and you don't want to believe that it's a systemically racist institution, just like most powerful institutions in America, this is not the podcast for you. I will not blame you, exit gracefully. There you go. I've given you the time to do that. Anyone who's left, I'm so, so glad that you're here with me because this is one of the most important topics in all of sports, and it is being discussed specifically in the NFL right now, and Brian Flores is the catalyst for that. It's really frustrating because when Brian Flores was fired by the Dolphins, we all knew something was wrong. This is a guy who'd had two winning seasons, a guy who uh, coached a very fractured, talent-lacking team in his first tenure in 2019 with the Dolphins in his first year as head coach, really impressively to the point where people were talking about, wow, this guy could be one of the best coaches in the league. 
in the next few years, this is a future. These, this is this is one of the coaches of the future, right? And this guy was fired very unceremoniously and was, you know, certainly not treated well on his way out the door. There was a lot of stuff that leaked out of that organization in Miami that seemed to um, discredit a lot of what Brian Flores had done um, based a lot on his personality and his inability, quote unquote, to sort of get along, um, that he was difficult to work with, things like that. The usual stuff that you hear when people are trying to cover their butts. So I'm going to break down a few of the main points of what's gone on just in case there are people who don't know the ins and outs, but I won't, you know, I'm not going to get into the entire lawsuit or anything like that. I just want to give you the basic facts. Not only was Brian Flores, the basic facts as they are laid out is that there are questions surrounding Brian Flores' firing from the Dolphins. He has said that the owner of the Dolphins, Stephen Ross, tried to bribe him to lose games by offering him $100,000 per loss in the 2019 season because he wanted them to tank, um, and he refused. He also said that there was a uh, unsanctioned meeting with a high-profile free agent quarterback that was supposed to take place, and that was not above board, and he refused to participate in that as well. We also know that he performed very well in the last three seasons with a rebuilding team and had winning records over the last two seasons. We just spoke about that. The second main point is that during his interview with the Denver Broncos, he said that John Elway showed up about an hour late. He was disheveled. He was like hungover. It was clear that he had been like partying and wasn't taking this seriously. And, you know, obviously when you show up to a major job interview like this, someone like John Elway showing up disheveled, half drunk and late is not a great sign for how seriously they're taking you as a candidate. And then there's the biggest bombshell, perhaps, well, one of the bigger bombshells that details that prior to his interview with the Giants, Flores received text messages from Bill Belichick saying, essentially, congratulations, I've heard from Buffalo and Giants that you are their guy. Hopefully you get the job if you want it. And throughout the conversation that was very brief, it became clear that he did not know he was texting uh, Brian Flores and that he meant to be texting Brian Dable. At least that's what it appears. And, you know, Belichick apologized, said he thinks he messed up. He said he misread a text. And after that, Brian Flores and his lawyers got the ball rolling because it became clear that even if the Giants hadn't officially interviewed Dable and decided 100% that he was going to be their hire, they were absolutely going into their interview process with Dable, considering him to be the front runner, and they'd all but decided it. At least that's what the, the impression that Bill Belichick got. Um, so all of this is to say that this is what led to the 58-page class action lawsuit filed by Brian Flores on Tuesday. A main quote from that filing says that Flores has determined that the only way to effectuate real change is through the courts where the NFL's conduct can be judged by a jury of Mr. Flores's peers. Uh, Brian Flores getting fired from the Dolphins and having these issues in his interviewing process comes on the heels of David Culley, one of the other few black coaches in the NFL, being fired from the Texans after just one year. He spent over 30 years, you know, toiling away as an assistant on various teams, very well respected. He finally gets his chance to be a head coach in Houston where no one else wanted to go. Um, he took that opportunity and he overachieved with a team that didn't have their franchise quarterback and matched the win total from the year before with 
you know, a lot more poise and overachievement um, than the previous year with that said quarterback. And he was still fired after a year. That comes only a few years after Steve Wilkes, also one of the few black coaches in the NFL, was also fired after one single year with the Cardinals. Um, when they decided that he wasn't good enough to stick around, when they uh, made the decision after a few months to get rid of Josh Rosen, draft Kyler Murray number one, and hire Cliff Kingsbury, um, had never been an NFL head coach. It took Cliff Kingsbury three seasons to get to a winning record with that number one pick at quarterback, and here we are. So multiple black head coaches fired after one single year at head coach, and now we have the situation with Brian Flores, and that's not to mention the decades of other crap that we know exists. Now, the NFL, within a couple of hours of uh, the media releasing this filing from Brian Flores, released this statement. And it's important that I read this to you because it's important to my point. The NFL and our clubs are deeply committed to ensuring equitable employment practices and continue to make progress in providing equitable opportunities through our organizations. Diversity is core to everything we do, and there are few issues on which our clubs and our internal leadership team spend more time we will defend against these claims, which are without merit. So within a couple of hours, the NFL had already determined that Brian Flores is a liar who had made everything up and that these claims were without merit. That's interesting. That's a very quick conclusion to come to. Similarly, I want to read this quote from Eli Manning, who is involved peripherally in the Giants front office as like an ambassador to the team, as far as I can tell. And this is the this is the statement he made on Wednesday. I was not involved in any of that process in any way, so I don't know the details, he said to the New York Post. I know the Giants organization. I know they do everything possible to give everybody a fair chance. They don't care minority or not. They are looking for the best possible candidate. They are going to do everything properly to look for that perfect candidate. So I don't think there was any wrongdoing there. Okay, so we've got the NFL coming out and within a matter of hours saying nothing happened. None of that could have possibly happened. He's a liar. None of those claims have merit. Okay, then we have Eli Manning coming in and saying, I wasn't involved in this process at all, but I can promise you there was no bias in the process because I, white man born into privilege, who is the star quarterback of this team, I, I've never seen anything like that. So it can't possibly be true. You know, the usual bullshit fact that we know racism exists throughout all this powerful systems and less powerful systems in America. We know this entire country was, was built on systemic racism. We know that it exists everywhere, but somehow Eli Manning and the NFL already know without even doing any level of investigating that there was no racism in their league owned almost entirely by white men run mostly by white men. Okay. That's quite the fucking claim. So what they're saying is that Brian Flores is a liar and the coaches who are coming forward like Marvin Lewis, like Hugh Jackson, um, who have experienced similar things and are coming forward and sharing their stories are also liars. All the black men in America who've experienced racism are liars and all the rich white men are telling the truth. Hmm. I can't imagine how that's possible, but dang, they sure are sticking to that story. So here's the thing. Anytime people come forward and say, I know for sure without having been involved in any of this and without having done any of my own investigation whatsoever, that there was no racism in any situation ever is already starting off on the wrong foot. They're already starting off without getting the benefit of the doubt. Because when you're the rich white billionaire and you're the rich white quarterback and you're the systems of power, and there's a black man on the other side of that argument who's risking his entire career, the career he loves, 
the thing he has committed his entire life to in order to bring to light what's going on. I'm not giving the rich billionaires and the rich white quarterbacks the benefit of the doubt on this one, because only one person in this situation had everything to lose by coming forward. Just like Colin Kaepernick before him, there was only one person who had everything to lose by doing this. Brian Flores wasn't going to never have a coaching job again. I don't know if he was going to get a head coaching job this year. Um, I don't know where he was going to land, but he was going to land somewhere in the NFL. He wasn't going to be completely like totally sidelined for good, at least not from being an assistant in this league. He could have continued his career and hoped that things got better. Instead, he saw the writing on the wall in terms of the cards being so stacked against him. He took his experience in Miami and then his experiences in these interviews and then seeing that Bill Belichick had gotten information about another team's interview process. He took all of that and he said, what's the point? How far along can I really get? And when is somebody going to call this out? And he's taken the bullet. So excuse me if I don't believe your immediate denials of something we know exists. We already know racism exists in the NFL. So you're like already lying to us. The smarter thing to do would have been to admit, listen, we know there's bias. We know that there are racist things that happen in the NFL. That's why we had to institute the Rooney rule. So while we can't you know, confirm or deny that these things happened, we're going to investigate it and we're gonna give it its fair shake. You could put out a mealy mouthed statement and still not completely discredit yourselves right off the bat. And ignorance is what leads to this kind of stuff. The only thing that Eli Manning was qualified to say in this particular situation is that even if he doesn't see the racism and bias, that doesn't automatically mean that it didn't happen. And to clarify that racism and bias in any of this process is not okay. And then just shut the fuck up. But he couldn't, couldn't do it. Had to blindly defend this institution because it, he can't possibly understand an experience he hasn't lived. And he's not willing to consider the possibility that the experiences of black men in the NFL might be completely different than his own. Powerful members of the NFL and the NFL community have got to stop acting like their personal experiences are reflective of a larger reality and truth in the NFL. Wealthy, privileged white men in America are not qualified to discredit the experiences of other people because they haven't personally experienced that. And that's really at the root of what's been happening in these organizations for the history of the NFL. The Rooney Rule was never going to work because the Rooney Rule counted on owners and GMs and front offices taking these opportunities to interview these black candidates and looking at their body of work, looking at their experience without without any level of predisposition. When you go into these meetings, you have to understand that there are biases far deeper than anybody is willing to actually access and take accountability for. You know, this isn't just about whether someone walks into a room and says, he's black, I don't want to hire a black guy. There's not a lot of people in the league that are saying, I don't want to hire a black guy. But what they are doing is they are holding implicit bias against people who don't look, think, and act exactly as they do, who aren't part of their 
communities who aren't part of their inner circles and their ways of communicating, right? I have no idea what it's like to experience racism, but I do know what it's like to experience being a minority in the room in sports, right? So there's been very few times in my life where I have been in a room with colleagues and coworkers where outright just blatant, gross, misogynistic sexism has just been thrown my way, just verbally, right? Because we've evolved as a society past being able to get away with that. But what does happen is people who think they're perfectly fine with me being in the room, they start rolling their eyes when I get animated or I get loud and I speak at the same volume as the men. They tense up when I do start to speak about a different perspective on a story or a topic than one that they've ever experienced or investigated. They do hear the sound of my voice and have to adjust to just the pitch of my voice, to just hearing a female voice in the room. They do feel that East Coast, very forward, very blunt energy coming from a woman. All of those things, these little microaggressions, these little moments where they hold things against me, they don't even necessarily realize they're holding against me. That's all sexism. Just because they don't say, you're a lady, you can't work here, you don't belong in this room, doesn't mean it's not happening. It's happening all the time. It happens to me on this podcast. It happens to me on Twitter. It happens to me everywhere I go because I am in a industry that is male dominated. My look, the way I sound, the way I talk, the way I act, the the perspectives that I bring to the table are going to be more foreign than what is institutional and traditional and that people are always going to buck against that. There might be less football being played, but Bet Online has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, playoff performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And with the new year comes a new updated desktop and mobile website. So sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. And it's not just football. BetOnline's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. Now take that and apply it to being a black head coach in the NFL. We're talking about the richest white guys, the most powerful white guys, the people who are the most invested in keeping things the way that they want them. And the same types of things magnified by 10 times, 20 times, 100 times are happening to black men and women in these rooms. And in the case of black head coaches, it's men. And the way they speak, the way they come across how they approach, you know, their philosophies and coaching and all of that stuff, that's all comes from who they are as people. And they are not white men. And if you think that doesn't disadvantage them, you definitely don't understand the history of this country. The Bill Belichick text messages have really been bothering me because something that 
really hurts my heart is that right before Brian Flores realized that Belichick may have been trying to text Brian Dable instead of him, he said, I interview on Thursday. I think I have a shot at it. Then Belichick said, got it. I hear from Buffalo and New York that you are their guy. Hope it works out if you want it. And Brian Flores said, that's definitely what I want. I hope you're right, coach. Thank you. Then he figured out what was happening. This is text messages from the guy who gave him his chance, someone he considers a mentor in this league. And he really felt encouraged. You know, imagine hearing that from Bill Belichick. And then you realize it's all a misunderstanding because they've already talked to the other guy. They've already decided you haven't even had a chance to interview. And so not only have you been let down by this person you thought had your back, but you know that they know that your interview is probably a sham. After everything you've gone through to get to this point, after everything Brian Flores has gone through to get to this point, it kills me. He actually said it best himself in his interview this morning on CBS with Nate Burleson. And I just want to play you a part of that. Here is his reaction to that text message exchange. How did that make you feel knowing that you were walking into an interview where a decision might have already been made? Uh, it was a range of emotions, uh, humiliation, uh, uh, disbelief, um, uh, anger. Um, I've worked so hard to get to, to, uh, um, to where I am from, uh, in football to become a head coach. Um, put 18 years in, in this league and it was, uh, uh, to, to, to go on at what was going to be a, what, what felt like, or what was a sham interview. I was, uh, I was hurt. And, but you uh, went knowing that you probably weren't going to get it. Why did. why did you continue to go? Uh, I think, uh, I, I, there's still hope. Maybe it's called it called the audacity of hope. The audacity of hope that maybe just maybe they were going to give him a real shot and that the situation wasn't exactly what it looked like. How often uh, black men and women in the league and associated with the league have to feel that. If you don't understand how insane it is for a GM to commit to an first time head coach before they've even met with them, while they also have one of the best coaching candidates to become available in the last few years on the docket. Brian Dable's never been a head coach. Brian Flores, his firing from the Dolphins was dubious to begin with. A winning record, a team in turmoil that began a rebuild, and he had a winning record. One of the architects of one of the best defensive Super Bowls we've ever had. And they had already decided to hire a guy who's never been a head coach and who's spent his tenure in Buffalo in a booth. And I'm not saying that there aren't other things to be taken into consideration, but when you start talking about temperament and philosophy and culture fit, you start getting into some real shady areas because 
The culture is the problem. The Giants haven't won shit in over a decade and they have not been competitive. They are not making great decisions. Their culture doesn't work. The changes that need to be made are so, they're, at, they're in the foundation. There have to be real consequences to these owners. Stephen Ross, if this stuff is true, and I have no reason to believe, again, that Brian Flores is lying because he's the one with everything to lose. If this is true, Stephen Ross should be gone from the league. Sell your team. If there's evidence that John Mara and his organization was com were committing to coaches before they'd interviewed them and before they had satisf satisfied the NFL's own hiring process of the Rooney Rule, there are real con there should be real consequences to that. If John Elway showed up an hour late, half drunk and disheveled to his own head coaching meeting, that's an embarrassment to the league. There should be consequences to that. And then those consequences should also come with preventative measures like having more people of color in the room during the hiring process, like potentially having outside help in deciding to, who to hire. Bring in third party help because you have an institutional racism problem. You can't fix it. The call is coming from inside the house. You can't fix it yourself. So I don't know where things are going to go from here, but my suggestion is that you pay attention to exactly what it is that these coaches are saying and what it is that the black people in the league are saying, because they're the ones who are at risk. They're the ones with everything to lose every time they open their mouths. And the NFL has proven that time and time again. Okay. We're going to move on to Tom Brady's retirement because it is officially here. After leaving Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington blowing in the wind for, I don't know, like two days, um, he did officially retire. It seems like he was always officially retiring. He just, I don't know, wanted to drag it out or do it on his own terms or whatever the case may be. I don't know if there was logistics behind the scenes or whatever, but he did retire and he posted a lovely little nine slide post to his Instagram, thanking the Bucks organization and all of his Buccaneers teammates and Bruce Arians and Jason Light and the whole situation down in Tampa Bay. He had an incredible career and, you know, it's time that he spend more time with his family and, you know, take on new opportunities and blah, 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 the usual stuff. And immediately all of America noticed that there was no mention of the Patriots uh, or New England or Patriots fans uh, or Robert Kraft or definitely not Bill Belichick. Um, no indication whatsoever he'd ever played for anyone but the Buccaneers in his retirement announcement, which is interesting because he has only been a Buccaneer for 21 months and he notably played for 22 years. So it was odd. Now, there was a fun little situation where part of the internet was like trying to gaslight everyone else who thought it was odd into thinking they were the crazy ones. Oh, well, he already thanked the Patriots when he left New England. Why would he thank them again? Blech. If we're going to act like it's totally normal for a quarterback who spent 20 years of his career somewhere and then two with another place and just ignore the 20 years, you're insane. You know that's not normal. You know it was weird. You know, it was weird. That's not a normal thing to do. 
Joe Montana didn't do that. Peyton Manning didn't do that. Like, what are you talking about? It's not normal. Also, those guys didn't even play for 20 years for the same team and the same coach and the same owner and the same fans. And they still like didn't totally ignore the other team they played for. It was weird. Now, he did after the fact um, repost uh, the statement uh, congratulating Brady on his retirement from Robert Kraft and the Patriots. And um, he retweeted a a cute little cartoon of himself in a Patriots jersey that the Patriots had also posted on Twitter on the duck boats with all his little Lombardi trophies. And it was, it was very cute. And he retweeted it, uh, wrote a couple nice words. It was, you know, you could, nothing that takes more than like 15 seconds to do, um, but never included the Patriots or Patriots fans or anything else like that in an official statement. Now I can't speak to whether or not he has any plans to do that down the road. Or, you know, if he has plans to, you know, come to New England at some point, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I have no idea. And if he does that, that's great. Like, this isn't like an emotional thing per se. Um, but like, I, I think the emotion is coming from all the people's telling Patriots fans not to be like weirded out by it or not to think it's weird because he put out a, a Twitter video and a written statement when he left in 2020. I mean, Peyton Manning gave a whole press conference when he left the Indianapolis Colts. Brady put out a video and a statement and he was on his way. That's fine. But it's not exactly like he had a big going away celebration. He was just kind of like gone. So to say like he said what he needed to say when he left, like, yeah, but that was under the conditions he was going to stay in the NFL and there was going to be more Tom Brady. There was more to his story. Now Patriots fans are saying goodbye to Tom Brady from the NFL forever. And so it's a different situation. The relationship that Patriots fans have to Tom Brady runs really deep. And it is different um, when he retires from when he just left the team. And if he doesn't realize that and other people are acting like that's not the situation, I think that's bullshit. Don't make Patriots fans feel crazy for feeling a little left out of the greatest quarterback of all time who played for them for 20 years, ignoring that they existed once he left to Tampa. It's weird. There are entire generations of children, cats, dogs, pet lizards, name it, named after Tom Brady. People have like included Tom Brady in their wedding vows. New England is plastered with 20 years of memories of obsessing and sharing moments with Tom Brady. And you're acting like them expecting like a little shout out in his retirement speech was crazy. It's not crazy. First of all, no one, no one, no fan base has ever had their quarterback with them for 20 years. No fan base has ever won six titles with said quarterback. I mean, you can say what you want about Patriots fans, but like I said before, New England is practically a shrine to the man. And I do subscribe to the belief that athletes owe their careers to their fans. If he doesn't want to thank Bill Belichick, I get it. Fine. I don't, I, I, it's not for me to say or deal with. Like, I don't really care about that. We already know his relationship with Kraft. As far as we can tell, they're very close. Um, they're, Ted Johnson did say that like Kraft was pissed and threw a temper tantrum that he didn't get mentioned in the retirement speech, but I don't know. I think Brady and Kraft are fine. But the fans of New England are at the heart of Brady's entire legacy. They were with him the entire time. When the rest of the league, including Buccaneers fans, including every fan from every other team, every media from across the country, every media member, went after Tom Brady during Deflategate, Patriots fans defended him. 
Patriots fans were the ones on Twitter taking the heat. They're the ones who've been defending him against a flake gate and Spygate and everything else this entire time. Every time someone wanted to say that he was washed, Patriots fans were the ones who said, you have no idea what you're talking about. Every time someone said he was going to fall off a cliff, it was Patriots fans who said, watch, watch what he's about to do. They were the ones. So, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to work in sports or you're going to love sports, you owe your career, just like I owe my career to people's passion over this stuff. So to sneer at it and gaslight everybody into thinking they're crazy for expecting some sort of acknowledgement in light of how dedicated they were to this person for as long as they were, like you're just kind of being a jerk. And I, and I think you're full of it. I think you're disingenuous and I think you know it. I do hope that down the road there is a relation, there is something that happens for Patriots fans to celebrate Tom Brady's retirement because I know how much it meant. I have a first row seat because I too am a longtime Patriots and Brady fan. And it was emotional when he retired. That is an entire era of my life. My entire like late childhood and then my entire adulthood, my whole career from learning that I wanted to be in sports to, to turning that into the start of something in college, to making it into my career. Tom Brady has been there the whole way, was emotional. I have friends who aren't even real football fans who saw the posts about Tom Brady and they were like, man, this is like emotional. Even I'm getting like a little emotional. Um, Tom Brady wasn't just like a quarterback and a star in New England. Like he was a part of the culture. He was someone that everybody knew and everybody understood to be a part of our day-to-day lives. Um, so even if you weren't a football fan, Tom Brady, he was, he was our guy, right? That late. And so that's what I mean when I say it's just, it's just disingenuous to act like it's weird for Patriots fans to expect a shout out. No, it's not. <laughs> It's not. It's weird to suggest otherwise. Uh, so everybody can shut the hell up. And uh, I really do hope that down the road, whenever the time may come, that Patriots fans, I don't care about, I don't care about Bill Belichick. I don't care about Robert Kraft, but that Patriots fans get more than a couple slides on an Instagram story. Okay. Thank you for joining me, you guys. You can always reach me on Twitter at Tanya Ray Fox or at Shameless TRF. Same on Instagram. I'll be talking about this stuff continuously as the story develops with uh, Brian Flores and the lawsuit. We'll be talking obviously more about the upcoming Super Bowl matchup. Hopefully next week things have calmed down a little bit and we can talk a little bit more about what we think the uh, Bengals Rams is going to look like. There's going to be Super Bowl media week and stuff. So things are going to be coming out, but you know, you never know what's going to happen. That's on the docket for now, but we will see. Uh, how it goes. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, enjoy uh, the Pro Bowl if that's your thing. I won't be watching, but have fun with it if you do. And until next time, bye.